All right. Well, listen, I got, because there's so many people here, we got to get you out before the next service. So I'm going to move super, super fast, or we're going to have the biggest log jam that there ever was in the history of Kent County. So let's go to God's word is today we're going to begin a brand new six week series called Money Talks. And this is why I didn't tell you what we were preaching last week, because you weren't going to come back. You, if you knew we were talking about money, you were going to be like, I'm not so sure. So I got you here. Now I got you here. Let's, let's get moving. If you're new with us, you'll find a sermon note sheet inside your bulletin that will help you better follow along. As we get started, what I want to do is I want everybody to look up here and take a deep breath. Would you do that? Okay. Take another one in and out. One more time. Okay. I learned that 21 years ago in Lamaze class (laughs) before the birth of our first child. They said it would help my wife with all the pain and all the stress uh, of it all. Now, I got to be honest with you. I don't really know if that's true. I'm a man, right? So ladies, I have no clue if that really works. But I thought this would be a really good way for us to start as we begin the series, because the moment some of you got here and opened your bulletin and saw what we were going to talk about, instantly your blood pressure went up. Now, there's reasons for that. For some of you, this confirms all your suspicions that you ever had that if I went back to church, I know what they're going to do. All they want is my money. I just knew that if I went there long enough, it was going to be a matter of time before they cleaned me out. And so that's where some of you are as you walk in here this morning. For others of you, you're tense because, to be honest, your finances are not in good shape. They're a mess. Things are difficult right now. You're way over your head in debt, and you really don't even know where to begin. And so you just kind of feel so hopeless that you're like, you know what? I'm just going to try to ignore it and hope my ship comes in. Can I just say something to you? Your ship will come in when your debt goes down and you learn how to manage money properly. Okay? If your plan is, I'm going to rely on the lotto, that's probably not a good plan. It could happen, but it's unlikely that's how your ship is going to come in. Now, still for others, you know what the Bible has to say. You've heard all these principles uh, about how God desires for you to handle money, yet because of either trust issues when it comes to God or your own personal discipline issues, um, you haven't been able to enact the principles of God's word. And so obviously you haven't reaped the benefits. I, I don't know what your stress is for a series like this when, when you saw the subject, but I just want you to take a deep breath and relax. Because here's what, what I'm going to tell you. I promise you, no one is going to force you to do what you don't want to do. Okay? I am not going to be knocking on your door about your giving record. Okay? My job is to teach the word of God to you, and, and, and then it's between you and God from there. And can I be really honest with you? This is already one of the most giving churches that I know of. Okay? I don't know of a church in Chestertown that gives as generously as this one. Listen, last year was the largest financial year in the 62-year history of this church. So understand, this series is not so much about what I want from you. It's what I want for you. Now, I got to tell you, as a pastor, I have a pet peeve when it comes to how pastors preach about finances. You thought you were the only one that gets irritated. Okay? You say, what's your pet peeve? Well, I find that when a lot of pastors preach about finances, they only teach people about the tithe or giving 10% to the church. And that's the extent of their money talk. And let me just take the, let me just deal with the elephant in the room. Pastor, are we going to talk about that? Yes. Okay, you ready? Get over it. We're going to talk about it. Why? Because the Bible talks about it. We're going to talk about giving and tithing. That's very important. We're going to talk about way more than that. But listen, 
God has way more to say about how to handle your money than just the giving of the tithe. God wants you to learn how to properly manage all 100% of your money, not just the portion that you put in the offering plate. He wants you to learn how to manage your money well for for a couple very important reasons. Number one, so that you can live debt-free and stress-free. Doesn't that sound good? Number two, so you can save for the future and be secure when you're old. Number three, so you can enjoy the wonderful things that God has created without those things ruining your life. How many know things can ruin your life? Number four, God wants you to handle money properly his way so that he can prove himself faithful to you. And build your faith as you follow his principles. And here's probably the most important reason why we need to handle our money well. Because it gives us an opportunity to make a difference for God's kingdom in this world. That's what God wants for you. And that's what I want for you as well. That's why we're doing Financial Peace University. By the way, that, the kit that comes with it is $80. We're giving it to you for 50. Uh, we're not making money on that. We're investing in you. And, and, and you say, well, why is it still 50? Because you've got to have skin in the game or you won't take it serious. Amen. Now, listen, we're willing to scholarship anybody that wants to go through it, even if you don't have it. But I'm telling you, it'll be the best $50 that you spent. This is the best financial class we know of to help you learn how to biblically and practically handle money in a way that will benefit you and bring glory to God. So here's what's going to happen. In financial peace, you'll be given all the practical tools to help you get your finances in order. And in this money talk series over the next six weeks, I'm going to give you a biblical foundation for all those practical tools to begin to work upon. Does that make sense? All right, let's get going. As we begin, I want to take you to a parable that Jesus told in Luke 16 about the importance of how we handle our worldly wealth. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus talked more about money than anybody else in the Bible. Okay, listen to this. Out of the 38 parables that he told, 16 of them have to do with money and possessions. So if you don't like the fact that I'm preaching on money, you probably wouldn't have liked Jesus' preaching either. Okay? That's truth. Just read your Bible. Listen, the parable we're going to look at today is known as the parable of the shrewd manager. And if you get down the lessons that Jesus is teaching us with this parable, listen, I promise you, it's going to forever change the way you think about management of your wealth. I've entitled today's message, Eternal Dividends, because how you manage your money in this life, believe it or not, will have a say about some things when it comes to eternity. If you manage your money well, you will have an opportunity to make a greater difference for God's kingdom in this life, which will pay eternal dividends in the life to come. Let's go ahead and dig into the parable. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the parable. I'm going to explain it to you. And then we're going to look at the lessons that Jesus teaches us out of that parable. Luke chapter 16, verse 1, it says this, Jesus told his disciples... Now, let me just stop right there for a moment because I do not want you to miss this. This is so important for you to catch. Jesus told this parable to who? His disciples. disciples. Okay? The parable and the lessons behind it were not meant for unchurched people. It wasn't meant for the world, people who don't know Jesus. If you're a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, this parable is for you. Notice Jesus told his disciples, his followers. Now, the the other thing I want you to know about this parable is this parable often throws people for a loop. 
Because all the characters in the story are to one degree or another relatively bad. They're corrupt. They're dishonest. They're worldly. In fact, one of the main characters is really bad, and the other main character commends the really bad character for his dishonest actions. And all of this, strangely, becomes a lesson on how we should manage and think about our wealth. Jesus, what he does is he gives us out of this parable some good lessons from a bad example. And you understand why as we go forward. Now, with that in mind, let's go ahead and look at the story. Jesus says this, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. So understand, very rich people in biblical days would either use a slave or they would hire a manager to handle all their daily affairs. I mean, rich people still do the same thing today, right? Think about it. The more money you have, the more you can afford to hire other people to handle your day-to-day business affairs. Well, the manager in the story has been accused by someone of wasting his manager's possessions. We don't know if he was stealing money. We don't know if he was just not doing the books right. Maybe he was just not paying attention. Maybe it's all those things. All we know is he's been accused of wasting his master's possessions. And so the master wants the manager to give an account of his management to see if those accusations are true. And here's the thing, the manager, he already knows it's true. He is as guilty as they come. He understands once the, 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 the master digs into the books, he is going to be fired. He knows it. He knows it's coming. Therefore, look at verse 3. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? So understand what that question means. He's concerned about his future. Everyone say that with me. He's concerned about his future. Okay, That's what happens when you know you're about to be fired. Instantly, your mind is consumed about your future. And so it says this, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. So he knows he's no good at manual labor. He's too proud to stoop to the level of a beggar. So he comes up with a plan and here's his plan. His plan is self-preservation at any cost. Okay, and this is often what the world's plan is. Even if he has to lie and cheat and steal and manipulate to provide for his future. Okay, it's me, myself, and I at any cost. Look at it. He says this in verse four, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He said, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. That's a 50% discount on, the very, on a very large debt. You say, how large is this debt? Well, listen, 900 gallons of olive oil at this time in history was worth three years' wages. It would be the product of 150 olive trees. This is no small debt. It tells you just how rich the master really was. And notice what the master says. We have, or, or the manager says here to the debtor. He says, we have to make this quick. Let's get the deal done as soon as possible. How many know thieves are always in a hurry? Con men are always in a hurry. You got to decide now, right? You, you go to the car lot to buy, not that they're con men. I just bought a car yesterday. 
But right, they want to make the deal now because they don't want you to leave that, that deal, right? And here's the deal. No questions are even asked by the debtor about the wishes of the owner when it comes to this deal that he's getting. Okay? What we have now is we have a corrupt manager and we have a corrupt debtor who is willingly taking an underhanded deal. That's implied here in the parable. Now look at verse 7. Then he asked the second, another of his master's debtors, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Okay, this is, a, this is another huge debt. A thousand bushels of wheat at this time in history was about 10 years worth of labor. Okay, the manager cuts the debtor's bill by 20%. And once again, there, there are just not enough questions asked. And, and, and it's a behind-the-scenes shady deal that takes place. And so understand what happened in this story. The manager was already wasting his master's possessions. He now rips off his master again in order to provide for his future. And you say, how is that? Well, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, notice why the manager said he did all this. Look back at verse 4. So that when I lose my job here, here's the key phrase, people will welcome me into their houses. What he did was a shrewd way to embezzle his master in order to, uh, to secure the obligation of all these other people by cutting their debt that they owed. So, so that when he lost his job, he could go back to the people that he cut this deal with and say, hey, you know what? You kind of owe me. And, and if you don't help me, I'm going to sing like a canary about this whole corrupt deal that we made. So why did he do this? Okay, what's the principle once again? He did all this because he was concerned about his what? His future. Say that with him again. He's concerned about his future. He's trying to prepare for his future. He did it so that these people, would, these debtors would welcome him and reward him for cutting their debts. Now, here comes the shocking part of the story. I mean, there's corruption all over the story, but it gets even more shocking. Look at this. When his master finds out that about the corruption, what the corrupt manager did. We're told in verse 8, watch this, the master commended. That doesn't say condemned. The master commended. You're reading that, right? He commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. The master praised him. He paid him a compliment for his shrewdness. Now understand, he's not condemning him for his, he's not commending him for his dishonesty. He's not commending him for his embezzlement and deception, but for his shrewdness. For him doing all that he could do to prepare for his future. Now that's the parable. Well, what in the world is Jesus trying to teach us here with such a story? Well, what I told you at the beginning As followers of Christ, we have an opportunity to use worldly wealth to prepare for our future in eternity. We have an opportunity with our money to make a difference for God's kingdom in this life that will result in eternal dividends in the life to come. You say, how so? Well, Jesus goes on to tell us. He gives us three lessons out of this parable, and these three lessons really set the foundation for everything else the Bible teaches us about money, the why and the how and the motive and how God wants us to use our money as followers of Christ. 
first, Jesus gives us a lesson on stewardship from this parable. He gives us a lesson on stewardship. Okay, understand, the manager in the parable, in this story, didn't own anything. The wealth that he managed wasn't his. It was his master's. Am I right about that? Okay, I'm going to say something that is going to shock you, and you're going to push back some of you at first, but here's what I want you to understand. You don't own anything either. Your possessions, your money, you don't own any of it. You just manage it. It's not yours. You say, well, yes, it is, Pastor. Don't tell me that my money isn't mine. Listen, your name may be on the bank account, but it's not yours. Your name may be on the title of your car, but it's not yours. Your name may be on the deed to your home, but it's actually not yours. Here are some truths that you need to get down biblically. Number one, God owns everything. The rest of the Bible echoes this. You got to get this down in your spirit. If you don't get this down, you're going to have trouble managing money properly. Look at this, Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. How much? It, how much? Everything, right? The world and all who live in it. Haggai 2, 8, the silver, watch this, is mine. And the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Psalm 50, verse 10, for every animal of the forest is what? Mine. And the cattle on a thousand here, hills. So if God owns everything, that means, are you ready for this? I own nothing. Why? Because it all belongs to God. You say, but I worked hard to get what I got. Let me ask you a question. Who gave you the ability to make money? God. Who gave you the hands and the feet and the brain to make money? God. In fact, can I say this? You don't even own the air that you breathe. It's God's oxygen. He literally entrusts you with every breath. It's all God's. The earth and everything in it. Now, I know some of you are struggling with this concept, so let me, let me give you proof that's outside the Bible that this is true. When you were born, you came into the world, are you ready for this, naked, <laughs> with nothing, okay? You didn't come out of your mom's womb with a suitcase, okay? You needed more Lamas if you did, right? <laughs> No baby is born with a 24-karat gold watch around their wrist. That would be awesome. We'd have more kids, wouldn't we? But that's not how it works. You were born with nothing, and when you die, nothing goes with you. That's why we, we, we do last wills and testaments. In fact, when you leave, you know who gets what you had? Somebody else. I mean, the pharaohs, right? They tried to fill the pyramids with, well, I'm going to take all this stuff, and guess what happened? Somebody broke into those tombs years later. Somebody else got what they thought they were taking because you can't take any of it with you. So no matter how much you accumulate in life, no matter how, mu- how rich you are in this life, none of it goes with you when you die. Why? Because it's all God's. Now, because that's true. That means I am a steward of God's resources. What is a steward? It's a person who manages the resources of another. That was true of the manager in the story, and it's true of us as well. We are all stewards of what belongs to God. God entrusts it to us for a time period. Okay? This is the very same principle that Jesus talked to us about in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Remember that story? 
Okay, a talent was a sum of money. Remember in that story, in that parable, to, to one he gave five talents and to one he gave two and to the one he gave one. And what was the requirement? That they were to be good managers of what the, of what the master had given them and they were to give a, the master a good return on what he had invested in them. Okay? In the parable we're looking at this morning, Luke 16, the manager wasted his opportunity to give his master a good return. It wasn't that he just did nothing. He was wasteful with his master's possessions. He wasn't a very good steward. But why then was he commended? Why did the master commend him? Well, he commended him because of his shrewdness to prepare for his future. And here's the point that Jesus is making from the parable about stewardship in verse 8. Look at this. Jesus says, watch this, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Now, those two words, more shrewd, is just one word in the original Greek, and it literally means more practically wise, prudent, sensible, and thoughtful. So here's what, this, this, here's what Jesus means by this. The people of this world, non-Christians, are often more shrewd and thoughtful in dealing with their own kind when it comes to preparing for their future than the people of light are. He's saying, he's saying non-Christians are more shrewd and more thoughtful about finances than Christians are, and that shouldn't be so. Listen, the world is very shrewd with money when it comes to preparing for their future, which is only temporary. They're only preparing for this life, and, and they're, not, they're not thinking beyond this life, but they're being shrewd just for this life. Listen, as people of life, we should, light, we should be even more shrewd or thoughtful about how we manage money because we have an opportunity to prepare for a future that is eternal with it. One that's going to last. One that's not temporary. So understand, the example here isn't that we should follow the worldly ways of the shrewd manager. Jesus is not telling us to lie, cheat, and steal, and embezzle. The lesson is we should pay attention to how we steward our wealth because we can make a difference for God's kingdom in this world with it. And when we do, it pays eternal dividends. In eternity, you say, how is that? Well, that brings us to the second lesson that Jesus teaches us in this parable. He teaches us a lesson on citizenship, on how things work in the kingdom. Listen, you and I believe, belong to a kingdom that is not of this world. Amen? Am I right? Yes. You and I are heading, am I right, to a kingdom that is not of this world. Right. With the worldly wealth that God has entrusted us with, we have an opportunity to use it to bring other people into the kingdom of God. You say, really? Yeah, look what Jesus says, verse 9. Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, otherwise when your life is over, when you're in heaven, watch this, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now some of you are really confused now. I mean, is Jesus saying that we should spend our money to buy friends? As in if, you know, hey, hey you know what, if I give you $100, will you say the sinner's prayer? That's not what Jesus is saying. Okay. What he is saying is God sees your money as a tool. That's what it is. Your money is a tool. A tool which can be used for kingdom purposes, for things of eternal value. And when you invest your worldly wealth in things of eternal value, such as bringing people to Jesus, 
They will see you in heaven and be so thankful that you used your temporary treasure, which became a tool that God used to bring them to salvation in Jesus. Let me explain it this way. How many of you can say that you have greatly benefited spiritually from going to church in your life? Keep your hand up and raise it for a second. Okay. How many of you could say, keep your hand up. How many of you could say, uh, I've greatly benefited spiritually from going to Hope Fellowship Church? Okay. Look at all these hands around the room. Are you ready for this? Okay. You've probably never thought of it. You can put your hands down. You guys are so obedient. This is amazing. We're even talking about money, right? Okay. You've probably never thought about it this way before, but follow me. Someone gave money for this building to be built that you now get ministered to in. This building became a tool. Someone gave money so that you could have heat on a, on a chilly day. Someone gave money so that we could fix the septic and our bathrooms could work today. Someone gave money so that pastors can be brought in and do the job of shepherding you well. Someone gave the money to buy the children's church curriculums that we use to disciple your kids and your youth. Many of you gave your lives to Christ right here in this church. Someone gave money, which became a tool that helped lead you to Christ. Do you know as a church, we distribute, we're such a, we, we believe in giving, we believe even in tithing as a church. We distribute over $3,000 a month to various missionaries around the world. You could see them in the foyer on, on the wall there. Those are missionaries we support on a monthly basis. Do you realize that because you give, some of you don't realize it, you're just giving faithfully to this church, you're tithing, you're giving, and because you give, we end up giving to missionaries who go to the mission field, who see people get saved, and you play a part in that. Because it takes money to send a missionary into the mission field and teach people about Jesus. So let me tell you what's going to happen in heaven one day. You're going to get up in heaven one day and you're going to be like, this is great. Streets of gold are great. I've had reunions with people I haven't seen in a long time. And there's going to be people that are going to walk up to you that you're never, you've never met in your life. And they're going to reach out their hand and they're going to say, thank you so much for being my friend. And you're going to be like, what do you mean? Well, they're going to say, you know what? You, you gave to that church you went to, and that church supported this missionary that came to the village where I lived and led me to Christ. And I'm here because you're my friend. Thank you for being a part of the process. Because if you didn't give, they wouldn't have come. Amen. And I may not have been here. Listen, does God need money, need your money to bring people to Jesus? No. But he has chosen to involve us in the process. Yeah of bringing people to Jesus. And one of the things that he uses is our treasure to do that. Uh, this is why I say, listen, you show me a church that doesn't give and I'll show you a church that isn't going to do very much for the kingdom of God. People all the time say, that it, say to me, what's going on at Hope Fellowship? And one of the, one of the reasons we're, we're able to minister the way we are is because you people are so generous. Thank you. Because when you have people that give at a church, it affects the return that we have for the kingdom. Being a good steward is not about having your finances in order so that you can have more and consume more and spend more. Listen, nothing wrong with having more and consuming more and spending more, but that's not what the idea of good stewardship is about. Good stewardship is about if, if I have my finances in order and I can live a good lifestyle with that, I can then invest more things in, in a, into the kingdom of God. I can invest more of my treasure into the kingdom of God things that are going to last for eternity. Do you know what the only thing that's going to last for eternity is? People. 
That's what's going to last forever. This is why it's so important to get your finances in order, not so you can consume more, but so you can invest more in things of eternal value. And I'm not talking about you just putting money in the church's offering plate. I'm talking about now I am free because I am debt-free and I am managed well to meet other needs and to participate in other needs that I see beyond my church. I can make more of a difference if I manage my money well. Listen, your giving not only affects who will be in heaven, but your, your eternal rewards, as I said, it, it also affects your, what, what rewards you're going to get as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Listen, God is going to hold us accountable for how we've stewarded his wealth while on this earth. And what he's going to want to know is, did we give him a good return for his kingdom? Did we manage his resources well for his business? What's his business? People. Listen, God is in the people business. He's in the saving people business. He's in the loving people business. He's in the restoration and help of people business. I mean, do you remember the parable of the talents, uh, Matthew 25? Uh, and let me just read this because I want you to see the end of this. It says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and watch this settled accounts with him. One day God's going to settle your account. And it's not just about money. It's going to be, what did you do with your whole life for my kingdom? Every bit of it you stewarded for, for me. He's going to want to know. It says, the man who received five bags of gold brought, that's the talents, brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Watch this. Come and share your master's happiness. What is the master happy about? My servant, look at all these people who are in the kingdom forever. Yes. Remember, Jesus says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that yes. repents yes. than over 99 that don't need to repent. Thank you for being a part of what matters to me most. Yes. Jesus makes the same point about eternal rewards here in Luke 16. Listen, when we steward our wealth in such a way as we make a difference for God, we're going to be rewarded in the life to come. This is how things work in the kingdom. Look at it. Luke chapter 16, verse 10 through 12. It says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy, trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, whose property is it? God's. Who will give you property of your, your own? You see that? In some ways, how you handle your money, how you handle your life or your this, it's a test for eternity. And God's going to divvy up rewards and responsibilities based on how you stewarded, not just your money, it's a part of it, but how you stewarded your life for his business. This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 20, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. How do you do that? You invest in things that have eternal value. You invest, you, you manage well so that you have the opportunity to invest 
and make a difference for eternity. Look what Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 14 through 17. And the Philippian church had sent him offerings. They had sent him offerings over the year for the sake of the furtherance of the kingdom and his ministry. And Paul's thankful. And look what Paul says to them. He said, it was, it, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of our acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. Isn't that sad? How much more could have Paul done if other churches would have participated in his missionary journey? For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. Paul says, this is not for me to live on. It's for me to do ministry with. Watch this. What I desire is that more would be what? Credited to your account. What account? The one in heaven. Now, one more lesson that Jesus gives us with this parable. He gives us a final lesson on ownership. Are you still with me? Yes. Okay, I'm moving fast. I got to get you out of here, right? <laughs> Look what Jesus says, verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, who's your master? Is it money or is it God? Jesus says it's not going to be both. This is a lesson on ownership. This is the bottom line theme of the whole whole story. The question is, is this, who owns you? Who do you serve? The manager in the story was technically a slave to the owner. He wasn't just an employee. If you understand the original context, you understand that. He was just a steward of his master's possession. And although this manager in the parable was owned by his master, he really wasn't serving his master. He wasn't sold out to the master. Do you know what he was sold out to? His own interests. And you know what's sad about that? It isn't that your interests don't matter. They do. We're going to talk about that in this series. The sad part about that is is he missed an opportunity. He missed an opportunity to allow God to be his master. Okay, can I, can I tell you something? When you, God's a much better master than money is. Nothing wrong with money, nothing wrong with possessions, as long as they are under the mastership of God. But if you allow money to be your master, it'll ruin your life. You can't serve two masters. You're either going to love one and hate the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. And the question is, who owns you? How you view and use your worldly wealth will tell you. I mean, you can come to church every week. I'm telling you, you open up your, your, you look at your money, it's going to tell you. It's just that simple. Now, here's what I want to do in this series, and I'm going to end here, and this is all foundation for today, because I'm, I'm hoping to want to change your attitude about how you think about and how you view money, because this is where it all begins. I want you to end up, by the time we're done with the series, to be working continually, because you always got to work on your budget, and you, you never budget once and it's done, okay? You're always working. I want you to be able to have a three-year plan. That has to do with budgeting, okay? For some of you, that's like a swear word, okay? Get used to it. What is that? It's living responsibly debt-free. Because if you live debt-free, you're freer to do things for the kingdom of God. Amen? Okay? I want you to have a 30-year plan. 
I want you to learn how to save money. You say, why? Why? I thought we can't take it with us. We can't, but here's the deal. I want to be able to save money so that when I can't do work physically anymore, I have something that I can still contribute to the kingdom of God and still make a difference. Plus, when I die, I now can give that to my kids in a way that I can spring them forward to doing more for the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? This is why you need a 30-year plan. Because I want to do more as much as I can. Listen, if I do good and I, I, I do well and I steward well and I set myself up over retirement years, then I can continue to give to the thing and to the kingdom things over and over. And then I want you to have a 300-year plan. You say, how do I do that? I'm not even going to be here giving. Because when you contribute to things of eternal value, you're investing for eternity. Eternal dividends. Jesus says, use your worldly wealth so that when this life is over, you're going to have friends in heaven saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because your investment in the kingdom became a tool that God used. And I'm here. And it's all because of Jesus. Thank you for being a part of the process. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? I don't know where you're at, but some of you, you just need kind of an attitude change this morning. This is where it begins. So if you're here this morning and you have never recognized that God is the owner of everything and you're just a steward, would you declare that to the Lord? Would you say, Lord, today I recognize that you own everything and that I'm just a steward of what you've given me. Now, here's the deal. God's going to give you a choice. You get a choice in how you manage it. He's not going to twist your arm. Church is not going to be knocking on your door. He's going to say, these are my principles. And if you'll trust me, this thing will get managed well and you'll do a lot for the kingdom of God and for my glory. So this is where it begins. God, I trust you. I transfer ownership in my mind to you today. And so Lord, help me to learn what I need to learn. Help me to deal with attitudes about money that I need to deal with. That I may be a good steward of what you've given me and that the money I handle will talk all throughout eternity for your glory and for your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we all said together, amen and amen. Everybody stand with me. All right, you all going to come back, right? We're going to talk about money next week again. And I said again, listen, yeah, we're going to talk about giving. We're going to go there, okay? I'm going to say it again. Get over it. Get over it. You're going to have to deal with it, okay? Trust me, God wants to do a work in your life. It's, it's, it's a good thing. I'm going to ask my prayer partners, would you come right now? If you're here this morning, you have prayer in your life, or, or you have prayer in your life. You have a need in your life. We'd love to pray over you. Ask the Lord to work in any area that you may have. Hey, on your way out, don't forget to sign that, if you can, for Marion Christoffel, even if it's just your name. We just wanted to know her, that she's loved, that we're thinking about here. God bless you. If you need prayer, would you come at this time? We'll see you next week. Go Eagles. Hi.